August the 8th, 1969. In just six days, a school teacher and his wife, sitting at their kitchen table, broke the Zodiac Cipher. Donald G. Harding and his wife, Betty, thought, hey, you know, this thing was published in the San Francisco Chronicle. This might be kind of fun. Why don't we give it a shot and see if we can solve it? Well, Donald went to work on it immediately. He had a little hobby of trying to, you know, decode things. And Betty had the idea that if this person was a killer, the word kill or killing should be in there. So let's look for two symbols that are alike, and those are probably L's. And then we'll go from there, putting these words together. So in just about 20 hours, they solved this thing. And one of the things that Donald G. Harding said, he noticed that the spelling of this person was very poor, which kind of cracked me up because I thought, well, good Lord, you can take the teacher out of the classroom, but not the teacher out of the teacher. He's going to zero in that this person is not a good speller. But again, it was Betty that knew to look for what they called the cribs, the words that are suspected to be in the cipher, something that you know should be in there. That was the first time in my life that I remember that a civilian helped law enforcement crack a case. Now, I didn't learn about this till years later. It was 1975. And my fifth grade teacher, Miss Anderson, knowing, you know, that I had such a fascination with famous crimes, we were talking about Zodiac and she told me, hey, it was a teacher that cracked that code. Well, I was dumbfounded because I was like, a teacher? You know, <laughs> how can this be? The more I learned, obviously, it began to make sense to me that the more people that were involved in something and the more varied their background, probably the more chance you had of solving something. I mean, let's face it. That's the reason wanted posters worked, because no matter who saw that poster of that wanted person, whether they were a preacher, stay-at-home mom, a cowboy, a firefighter, they had a chance of spotting that person. You know, an inmate escapes and are on the run or any fugitive. It's the general public that can help become an eyewitness and spot that person and be involved ultimately in their capture. So even though on the surface I knew civilians could be involved with cases, it was only really as an eyewitness. I never really understood until then that they could be instrumental in helping law enforcement solve these cases. So Zodiac was a turning point for me, the way that I would look at cases from then on. So I recently had a chance to go to a true crime convention in Rogers, Arkansas. When I was there, I learned about a cold case of a lady by the name of Ernestine Andridge. And she lived on 15th Street, and she was killed in 1995 on Halloween night. Well, that kind of got my attention because Rogers is this small town. It's beautiful, friendly. The setting is unbelievable because you go through the Ozarks to get there, and those mountains are so picturesque. And then a few other things that stuck out about this case for me was there was a carnival in town just a few blocks away. Well, you know, that always gives everybody a red flag because a lot of people believe that these 
carnival workers or all criminals trying to escape from somewhere and then go to the next town and blend in and go to the next town and blend in. And by the time their crimes are maybe discovered, they're several cities and towns away. Ernestine had multiple stab wounds to her chest and abdomen. She struggled with the assailant, but of course there was never a murder weapon found. There was never any eyewitnesses. Nobody really came forward that had a reason for this to occur. While I'm in that town, I thought, well, I'm going to run over to 15th Street, kind of see what I can see. And then I had a chance to talk with the detective over the case. And I'm like, you know, I'm here in the town. I mean, I just want to talk to you about it. And he said, look, you can already tell the house isn't there anymore. Apartments have been built where the house was. He said the streets are the same, but a whole lot, that entire block looks different. And I understood that. And I thought, man, there's just got to be more. There's got to be maybe a way to reach out to the children or see if I can help him in some way. I mean, I offered different experts and that sort of thing. But he was very clear that at this moment, he didn't know what else to do on the case either. I knew exactly who to call. You know, a lot of times people will even ask me, well, how do I get involved in solving a cold case if, if I'm not in law enforcement in any way? And I always tell them the same thing. There is a group of people, and it is the number one civilian solving group that I know of. It is a community like no other, and that is Web Sleuths. And they have been involved in just about every high-profile case you can imagine. They have assisted me personally on cases. They are quick. They are deep and wide in their advocations and vocations which again, I can't say enough. I don't care what you do for a living. You may have the intel needed on a case. So tonight, you are going to hear from Trisha Griffith, who started Web Sleuths. And when she took this thing over, y'all, I think there was about 100 people involved, which is a ton of people. And 100 people can get a whole lot done on a case when you've got people researching, making phone calls, reading, from the archives of old newspapers. But I think today she's got about 130,000 volunteers. So when I called her recently, because I had a print from a crime scene, from a shoe that I could not identify, I gave it to Tricia. She said, I'll get back in touch with you. Well, it took them a minute because this was an unusual print, but they got back to me. And it matched a shoe that I had never heard of. If not for them, I'd still be looking for that shoe. We have the opportunity to talk to somebody that, as a civilian, took up this challenge to say, how can those of us that want to advocate for crimes such as JonBenet Ramsey and the Delphi murders and others, how can we do that? She's got it to where you can sign up and be a part of this group and start advocating and researching and solving cases. And they have been directly connected to cases that have been solved. I'm going to give her the floor, and I'm going to welcome somebody from my Zone 7, who I am so thrilled could be with us, because I've been on her show a bunch. But this will be the first time she's on Zone 7. Ladies and gentlemen, Trisha Griffin. Oh, my gosh. Cheryl McCollum, I am so honored and humbled by that incredible introduction. The members of Web Sleuths, they do all the hard work. The moderators, they're the ones that keep it so nobody 
flips out and starts calling each other names. They keep it so it can be an adult conversation. And then it's our members from all over the world. And Cheryl, we just passed uh, over 200,000 members. When I took it over, it had about uh, 250 members and it was a snake pit. I, I went on there and it was everybody threatening each other. So what we did is we kicked out the troublemakers and we tightened the rules and we kept kicking out troublemakers and tightening the rules. We did this for several years. And then in 2008, we decided to go uh, go all the way. We really tightened the rules. A lot of people left and I thought, oh my God, I've made a mistake. And we made the rules like no rumors. You couldn't bring things over from social media, uh, you know, unless you had a backup uh, link to the police confirming it or a mainstream media source confirming it, things like that. And everybody said, Webster's is going to fail. You've All the good posters are leaving. And they were right. I'm like, oh, my God, I've made a mistake. But Cheryl, then what happened? All of these people came out of the woodwork and said, now I can come out and post and not be bullied. And what happened was Websleuth exploded. And we haven't stopped growing since then. It has just been an amazing journey that could not have been done without the volunteer moderators. They volunteer 24-7. And, of course, the incredible members. And you're so right. I loved when you said, you know, everybody has something to offer. And that's one thing I learned early on in dealing with forums is there are a lot of people out there, Cheryl, that feel they've been forgotten that they don't matter. And they matter to us because they might have that one little bit of information, something that they've done in their life that can help us figure out a case. And I want everybody on Web Sleuths. Everybody matters to us. And I want to be really clear with folks. I got a sister, Sharon. She will put you on a prayer list quicker than anybody I know. <laughs> and then she will ask other friends at other churches to do the same thing. So when she hears that somebody is in need of prayer for whatever reason, health, financial, marriage, whatever it is, she's on it. When I think of Web Sleuth, it's that same type of thread because sometimes it's not even we're going to be able to solve this case necessarily, but the idea that 200,000 people are thinking of this child or thinking of this family or thinking of this mother, there's power in that to me too, for that victim, for the victim's family. Trisha, you've got such a powerful group of extraordinary people doing amazing things. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the cases that you and Web Sleuths have been connected to that had a solvability factor that y'all presented? Cheryl, I want to make clear what we do. We don't come in there and solve cases all the time, uh, you know, like Miss Marple or, or any one of those, you know, TV detectives. What we know we do is we help. OK, now we have helped solve cases before. But here's the here's the thing that just drives me crazy. I know we've helped with a bunch of cases. Why? because law enforcement is constantly reading at Web Sleuths. And I know some of them join Web Sleuths and they're always there reading. So we really don't know how many cases we've actually helped with. Now, there are a few big ones that we helped with. Uh, the one that we're most famous for is Abraham Shakespeare. He was a man down on his luck who won the lottery and uh, I think it was $30 million. And then he disappeared. 
and a woman comes out, this cute blonde, and she says, uh, Abraham is my best friend, and he's given me power of attorney, and I've sent him off to the islands to get away from all this publicity. Well, we looked at that, and we actually suspended one of our rules, and that is we cannot, cannot uh, accuse a person of a crime unless the police have done so, unless the police have named them as a suspect. We suspended that rule because it was so obvious that Dee Dee Moore killed Abraham Shakespeare. So we went to town and our members uncovered things that the police told me later they'd need a subpoena to get. We got all kinds of bank records to show her shady real estate deals. But then something happened that I don't know if it's ever happened before or since. The suspect joined the forum and is she's trying to defend herself and we're throwing questions at her right and left. And then I was contacted by the detective on the case who said um, that he he joined the forum then. Well, Dee Dee Moore realized that she was, uh, probably realized that she was talking herself into a murder conviction because the questions we were asking were the same ones the police would ask. And she contacted me via email and said, by the way, somebody's on your forum pretending to be me. That's not me on your forum. I'm Dee Dee Moore. That's an imposter. And I said, well, that imposter must have broken into your house because the IP address for this email and the IP address for the post are coming from the same computer. And she goes, well, it must have been my best friend. She must have done it behind my back. You need to remove all everything. And I said, no, absolutely not. And then I think she pretended to have her son write me. In fact, I'm positive. And he was like, you know, you're hurting my mom. You're hurting me. And I'm just a kid. And, and I wrote him back and I said, son, get off the Internet. I know you love your mom. And I said this just in case it was him. I know you love, you, you love your mom, but get off the Internet because it's just going to get more ugly. Well, eventually they found Abraham Shakespeare. They found his body under a slab of cement on her boyfriend's property. The detective contacted me and, and gave me this beautiful, glowing uh, email about how much we helped the case. And then another one, I think, I think you guys may have heard of this case, Casey Anthony. Now, when Casey Anthony's case happened, things were just coming out that were new. Like one of our members created a ping map and, and in Florida, they have something called the Sunshine Law, where they have to release all the documents. So we were getting documents all the time in the case, even before she went to trial. And one of our members created a ping map, P-I-N-G. And that map showed where Casey Anthony had been with her cell phone. Well, uh, one of the detectives joined the forum and thanked us for our help and, and said some very kind things. And he was on the stand with Jose Bias, and Jose Bias asked him, so, do you go on WebSleuth much under another name than your own? I about had a heart attack when I heard that. I, oh, my God, that poor guy, <laughs> that poor guy. But so then something really interesting happened. A person sent me an email and said, I have Cindy Anthony's password to her Yahoo account. Log in and read her email. And they sent it to me. Well, I didn't do that. I reached out to Cindy Anthony and she called me back. She claimed she didn't know who I was or or what the forum was. She'd never heard of WebSleuths. Later, we found out that she had reams of paper where she had printed out every WebSleuths thread about Casey Anthony. 
she and I had a talk and it was very interesting. And I told her, I said, I would never do that. I said, I'm going to forward you the email. You can call the police, do what you want, but just know I've never, I would never do that. And then she tells me, and I'm paraphrasing here because it was so long ago, it's hard to remember. She tells me she's been talking to a lawyer and her lawyer said that she'd be able to shut down these sites that call Casey bad names. And I'm so perplexed. I'm like, call Casey bad. I, I said, what do you mean? And she goes, you know, they've called her horrible names like, you know, bitch and, and, and slut. And, and I said, and your lawyer said that you could get these sites shut down. And she says, absolutely. And that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, that includes your site as well. And I said, well, we don't allow name calling, but I'm sure name calling has gotten through in this case. I said, so I do want to tell you something, Cindy, don't go to that lawyer anymore because he's just going to just suck you dry of every cent and you can't do a thing. You won't be able to do a thing. I promise you. I know the libel laws and this doesn't even come close to it. Uh, your daughter is now a public figure. I tried to explain it to her. It didn't seem to sink in. And then finally, what happened was after the prosecution lost the case, one of our members was a computer whiz and he got all these documents released. And somehow I have no idea how this works, but this person was able to go through the documents and he found out that they only did a search using one search engine. You know, back then, I think they had Netscape and uh, MSN. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Well, sure. they only used one of those and they didn't search the others. Well, he somehow, through this paperwork, was able to search the other networks, I guess. You know, it was like MSN or it was one of those he, he searched and found that Casey had looked up uh, several things like uh, how long does it take someone to smother, I think was one might have been uh, talking about, it was all about smothering somebody and how long it took. I think another one was decomposition. Well, that could have been used in the case. Sure, because all they had was chloroform, right? Right, right. Anyway, those are the, the two big cases that everybody talks about. Now, occasionally I'll get a call from law enforcement and they'll say, we need to have everything you have on member, you know, Joe Smith. And I always ask for a subpoena. I don't give them anything unless I get a subpoena. And I don't get anything for a subpoena if it is a civil lawsuit. And we do get calls occasionally from law enforcement. And they'll tell me that person is posting things only the killer would know. But then they never will tell me what happened after that. And so, like I said in the beginning, uh, law enforcement is constantly reading at Web Sleuths. And I know they're getting ideas from our members, which is great. That's why we're here. Oh, I think it's tremendous. But Cheryl, as you know, law enforcement can sometimes be pretty stubborn. What? And it's hard. <laughs> I know. I, it's a shock. It's a shock. And it's hard dragging them into the 21st century. They paint people on the internet with the same brush. They don't differentiate between the crazy people that call them all the time and accuse innocent people and come up with all of these stupid conspiracies and drive them nuts. They don't differentiate between those people and web sleuths. And it's really hard to get them to see that we are the good guys. We want to help law enforcement. But believe me, we're not perfect. 
But one other thing, this and this is a great example of, of web sleuths. The Boston bomber read it, put out a picture of a young man and said, this is the Boston bomber. It was all over Reddit and it blew up in social media. While everybody was posting that picture of the so-called Boston bomber, we were removing it as fast as we could when members were posting it on WebSleuths because we said there is no evidence to show us that this man had anything to do with it. Well, come to find out, he wasn't the Boston bomber. His family suffered even more because he had recently committed suicide. It was before he was named the Boston Bomber, but his family had to endear all of that. In fact, there's a documentary about it called The Thread, and it's all about this thread on Reddit and how they messed up. Anyway, that's that's a real short overview. We're doing our best with the volunteer staff that we have. Let's go back to Arkansas a minute. I want people to know that, hey, you're the real deal. But also, if you're looking for a place to volunteer your time and talents, this is it. And I know that I've been involved with y'all for at least seven years that I know of this documented. So I have never been let down. And so, again, the first call that I made was to you when I was leaving Rogers, Arkansas. And I just want people to know this is how the phone call went. Hey, I'm in Rogers, Arkansas, and I came upon this cold case that kind of got my attention because, you know, it occurred Halloween, which is one of those dun 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 <laughs> right. kind of things. And then there was a carnival down the street. Well, that come on. And then you're talking about the holiday where everybody's going to cover their face, and they're going to be dressed sometimes spooky and eerie and frightening, and you're going to open your door. So of course, there's no forced entry. You know, it's it's the perfect night to do a crime such as this. So that was the spiel that I gave her. This was the response she gave me. We're on it. Drive safely. (laughs) (laughs) And then again, to know that I'm just driving and can enjoy my trip home with Caroline and know that 200,000 people are going to work. It's like the elves in the shoemaker. (laughs) Well, thank you, Cheryl. Yeah, and this this is a particularly tough case because literally you have told everything that is known about this case. She would open her doors to strangers that night. Uh, there was no forced entry, uh, probably had a mask on. And why this killer did it, you look at it and you think he it obviously was, I'm sure it was a man, and he obviously just wanted to see what it felt like to kill somebody. And then you had that carnival in town, and the police think that uh, the the guy was with the carnival and he's long gone. What I am wondering, and uh, I've actually put a call in to um, the sergeant about to, to ask him this question, is if they have any DNA from the case, if they have anything that they've kept, because we also work with a lab called Othram Labs, and they are amazing. Yeah, baby. And I would love to get this case on Othram's radar because if that perp left any DNA, they'll find it and they'll find who it belongs to. Well, this is what I even said to him. And he said, I'm going to have to look at everything and get back to you. But I told him there's no way she was stabbed like that, that this person wasn't holding her in some way with their non-dominant hand. So there would quite possibly be touch DNA 
if her top had been preserved correctly. So they're holding her while they're able to, you know, incapacitate her to stab her. Othram was the second thing I mentioned to him after touch DNA. Good. Oh, I'm glad you told him. Great. Oh, baby, we're on the same page. And every year, the testing gets more and more sophisticated and more and more cases are solved. And that's why it's such a great time for anybody listening. Join WebSleuths. All you need is an email address and, and that's it. And then you pick your username. Yeah, you can't start fights. You can't accuse people of things. You can't start rumors, all of that. But it's pretty easy because we have a, a saying, don't be a jerk. And that's all you need to know when you're on websleuths.com. There's a motto for you. <laughs> you know, and it works. It works. So look, you can't name call, you can't start a rumor, and you can't right. fight. Now, that's the reason I've never formally joined. <laughs> but <laughs> we, we'd make an exception for you, Cheryl. You go, go to Appreciate town. Go you. to town. But I, I do. I mean, there's not enough good I can say. And there's a person that murdered a woman in Rogers, Arkansas, but there's over 200,000 people that are looking at it and trying to do some good and trying to solve it. I remember I had a conversation. One of your members called me and he was on to something with a case that I had given to y'all to help me with. And he wanted to talk to me because he had a bunch of questions. And as we were talking, he said, well, if I'm able to do this and locate this particular thing for you, what are you going to do with it? And I said, well, I'm going to go to the powers that be and, of course, take complete credit. <laughs> well, of course, he started dying laughing. <laughs> and, I said, and I said, look, I said, the reality is I'm going to go to the lead on this and I'm going to say, here, this is for you on a silver platter and this is where it came from. It's about being accurate and true because here's the deal. When you've got a detective on the stand being questioned about web sleuths, you're going to have somebody else come out and say, well, how did you get down this road? I'll tell you exactly. I didn't take that road. Somebody else did. And I think social media is here. It's here to stay. It's like anything else. Something that could be used can be used good or bad. And people that want to do bad crap are going to figure out how to do it. But again, love wins. So it doesn't matter what negative thing you're going to do like you. You might have lost 100 people at one point, but you gained 100,000. Exactly. And and I want to uh, piggyback on that, if I can, Cheryl. Um, I was talking to Brandon Beavers, Missy Beavers' husband, once. And he asked a question that I have never been asked, and it gave me pause. And it still does when I think about it. And the question was, what gives you the right to know this information? you know, like what the police have. And I went, uh, and I, it took me a while. And I said what you just said a moment ago. I said, social media is here to stay. I said, we may not have a right to uh, demand information from the police, but what what the police need to do is learn how to work with social media because we can help. Now, in the Missy Beavers case, you know, there are people all over social media blaming him, and it was he had a horrible experience with it. <clears throat> and a lot of people do, but they won't have a horrible experience with web sleuths. And like you said, we are here to stay. 
learn to work with us or we will work with you. You you call the shots, not us, law enforcement. You tell us what you need and we will do it. And when you're scouring wanted posters, looking for somebody that looks similar, when you're trying to take our age progression and see if you can find anybody on social media, it's a powerful thing, again, to think you've got some help in areas that maybe you can't spend all day scouring social media, you've got to go interview people and get subpoenas and get warrants and do different things. And you have other cases, but if you've got people you can dedicate to those time consuming efforts, it's spectacular. Exactly. In fact, I have a great example of that. I got a call from a detective in a small little town in Nevada. And he said, look, I was a cop in San Francisco. I love what you're doing. Most of the people in law enforcement don't like you. And he said, look, we've had this case for 23 years. This was back in 2014. And he said, it is a, uh, a guy who was murdered, uh, but we can't identify him. And he said he was wearing this T-shirt with this emblem on it. And he said, for 23 years, we've been trying to find out where that T-shirt was made. And maybe it will lead us to his identity. So he gave it to our members, and they were doing great work for about a week and a half. And then one member came back from vacation, and within 36 hours, she had where that shirt was made, when it was made, who owned it, what type of thread they used, where they are now, how much it cost back then, how much it cost, everything. That's what I'm talking about. And so for 23 years, those cops have wasted their time trying to figure it out. And this woman, I asked her how she did it. She said, well, I started with Etsy. And I don't know how she did it, but she did. And he was so thrilled. And that is a perfect example. And that's the importance of web sleuths and groups like web sleuths. Not that there's any exactly like it, but you know what I mean? Volunteer groups that are trying to help. Find your group. You can start helping on a cold case today, thanks to Trisha Griffin. Trisha, again, all of these people, you know, trying to, hide and mask who they are and pretend to be, you know, different than they are, your army of over 200,000 people will do the work. They will search till they find it. And a lot of times, this is what I want law enforcement to understand. Number one, media is not going anywhere, whether it's the San Francisco Chronicle or somebody in their home on a microphone. They're not going anywhere. So you need to learn how to use them as the tool that they are. Trisha Griffin, that is a tool. She can help you. She is a law enforcement gift. They can, again, give them the mundane work you don't have time to do that is necessary. They can do that. Tell her to go find something in Ancestry. Tell her to go find something in archives of a newspaper. They can do that better than anybody and quicker than anybody. I mean, I wrote a textbook about how media you know, is one of the greatest law enforcement tools there is. That's what the wanted poster is, if you think about it. That's what John Walsh is. That's what NamUs is. Like all of these people that are able to use these vehicles of media and successfully do it, there's no faster crime-fighting arena. There's just not. I appreciate you. I appreciate you being part of my Zone 7. I appreciate you always answering the phone and being willing to help anytime on any case. And I want people to understand, yes, she has been on numerous TV shows and magazines and newspaper articles, 
but she doesn't just answer my phone when it's a high-profile case. She has worked on cases y'all have never heard of with no fanfare and no credit. And so again, Trisha Griffin, I appreciate you being part of my Zone 7. Thank you, Cheryl. It's been an honor to be here with you and uh, I'll be having you on my live stream very soon. Y'all, I'm gonna end Zone 7 like I always do with a quote. A clown can get away with murder. John Wayne Gacy. I'm Cheryl McCollum and this is Zone 7. <laughs>